everybody. Welcome back to The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer, and I have a good one for you today. Mia Klein has been a friend for a long time. She makes terrific wines, she's really busy, and I'm glad I finally got her in here. Mia has made wines for Chapelet, Dali Bali, Spotswood, and lots of other great wineries. We have a lot to cover, so we'll get right to it. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Doug Schaefer here with The Taste, another episode. We've got a, a special guest in here today. I've known this person for years. We crossed paths in the late 80s. Um, she's energetic, fresh ideas, passionate, always exploring, always striving to make the best wines. Makes fantastically gorgeous wines year in and year out. Some of the best Merlot I've ever had. Mia Klein, Celine Wines. Mia, good to see you. Oh, great to be here. And that's a big compliment coming from you, Doug, to, to have a Merlot that you really like. Oh, it's gorgeous. Whenever I was going out, you know, need Merlot. It's Celine Merlot. That's why I'm, that's why I'm ordering. And your Sauvignon Blanc. So, All right. To this day. Um, so, hey, got to start in the beginning because I don't know. You grew up, I heard, Southern California. That is correct. I grew up in Hermosa Beach uh, back in the, you know, the 60s and uh, early 70s when... Uh, most people didn't really want to live at the beach. It wasn't really that popular place, all all said and done. Um, no, are you kidding me? I figured that would be like when, the spot. Just about when I started moving away, that's when it got to be really, uh, really, really popular. I've I've been down to visit a few times, and I don't think there's any way that I could afford, you know, the smallest shack there now. But uh, yeah, really great place to grow up. Uh, wonderful beaches. I was never more than. You know, a couple of blocks from the beach was just just awesome. Did you hang there? Surfing the whole hang thing? Out, yeah, I was a junior lifeguard. Junior lifeguard. Junior lifeguard in the summers. Lots of surfing and lots of stuff like that. So you can actually do it. You can get. You can stand up on a board. You know, I it's, <laughs> it's been a it's been a while. We were in Hawaii just uh, recently in in early January, and uh, but the waves are like double overhead, and right. we were at like Chun's Reef, which is North Shore, but it's like a kids' break, you know, but right. way too big. Way too big and wild for me to get out there and do stuff. So junior lifeguard. Yeah, I'm curious. Oh no, man, no, did, you, is... did you have to be like you know pass a million tests and yeah, tread you know, water for I hours? I remember. I think I started when I was eight, and you had to swim four lengths of an Olympic pool. And when you're eight, you can swim. You know, if you've grown yeah. up at the beach, but it's like wow. When that third and fourth lap come around, that's a long way. Sure. So you ever save anybody? <laughs> no, but boy, you know, the other thing was there was like punitive stuff. If you were like the last person, you know, to come back from a buoy swim, you had to do what they called a seal crawl, which seal was you crawl. started in the in the dry sand and without using your hands or your feet, you had to like seal crawl all the way down to the water. Meanwhile, anybody could do anything they wanted to you on the way down. So, I mean, it got it got very competitive. It's pretty gnarly. But that was, you know, back in the day, that's the way it was. Late 60s, early 70s, it's like, yeah, let's see if we can break them. <laughs> oh, man. And needless to say, there weren't very many uh, young women in, yeah. in the whole program. But it was a lot of fun still, you know, I mean. A lot of fun. There you go. I told you before. There's Good something memories. I find out about. Every, I find out new things about people every time I do this. Yeah. Um, so you're growing up in Southern California. Siblings. Yeah, I was. I was kind of the late. Uh, you know, my mother tells a story. She wasn't feeling well. <laughs> Forty-five years old. Ooh. Okay. Not feeling well. Go to the doctor. What's wrong? Doctor comes back after a few tests. Well, Mrs. Klein, what are you going to name it? <laughs> Francis is a good name. It's good for boys and girls. And she said, oh, come on. Oh, come on. So it was one of those things. So I have siblings. I have a 16-year-old, a, a brother who's 16 years older, older than me. Okay. Sister that's 10 years older and another brother who's nine years older. Wow. Yeah. So my mother was 45. I think my dad was 42 or 43. Yeah. Yeah. So brothers and sisters kind of like aunts and uncles just about bit, yeah, yeah yeah i mean uh, i was almost like an only child there for yeah. for a lot of the growing up years but the great part was uh you know your parents get a chance to practice on those three siblings before you so by the time i got there i mean they knew the battles to pick um yeah. people like to i don't get like uh an ice cream headache. I don't get anything like that because for a while when I was growing up, I had popsicles for breakfast. 
<laughs> I did. And so I can drink no, the no. coldest drink or eat ice cream. Never. I don't even know, you know what an ice cream headache is. I'm with you. So, okay, but why popsicles for breakfast? It's what I wanted. And and so there you, you go. know those those first those first couple of kids, it's like you got to eat this time, you have right. to eat this, you have to eat that. Uh, my mom realized that by that time is like she's going to make her own way and it's all going to balance out. And yeah, you know, a few months later I said, "Hey, could I have oatmeal for breakfast?" You know, and she showed me how to make oatmeal. Wow. So it was cool. For her, she was a working mother too. So the popsicle was easy because it was reaching the freezer. Here you go. Here's your breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's great. Yeah. 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 Well, that, you know, she was right. Because yeah. I've had a, a slew of kids and it's true. You know, you, you kind of figure out which battles to, to fight. Yeah. And let them go because yeah. they, they end up okay. So mom and dad, so mom was working, dad was working. What what careers were they? Were they foodies, so whinies? You know, winos? they grew up, you know, uh, so you got to imagine my mother was born in 1916, my father in 1919. So they went through the Depression. My got dad it. served in World War II. Um, so my mom was basically somebody who's pretty good with numbers, but she was always like secretary, administrative assistance, right. something like that. My dad did do a little cooking, um, but mostly tended bar is what okay. he did. Um, there was a short period of time when he uh, worked in a galley of a pleasure fishing boat out of Long Beach. Wow. And I got to go fishing. with. I remember I was like five years old. So we'd get up at three in the morning to yeah. drive down there because they always leave early. And I got to fish all day, you know, nice. on the pleasure boat. Yeah. It was really awesome. I caught sharks. I, I did all kinds That's of things. That's cool. Bonita. Yeah. All kinds of things. Barracuda. It was a lot of fun. So that was a really good bonding experience yeah. with, with my dad. So wine in the house? No. Not no really. Wine. Yeah. Not really. I didn't grow up with wine. So I grew up with good food, but Got not it. wine. Um, my parents actually, this is a great, my parents actually met in AA uh, in Oakland. So okay. alcohol was definitely not a part of the family at all. Um, so, uh, but... When I was in high school, one of the things I thought I might want to do is be a chef. And so I got a job at a little fish restaurant in Manhattan Beach, okay. next door community, called the Shrimp Pot. No yeah. longer there, long gone. And uh, got high to school, cook. High, high school job, were you waiting tables or cooking? You were cooking. cooking? I was back at the house all the way. You're how old? 16, 16, 17? as soon as I was 16, Yeah. You know, since, since my mother was a little, she, I remember I was a freshman in high school and she had a fall and she broke her hip. And so she was out of work for a while. My dad was disabled kind of from the war as well. Uh, so there was no driver uh, and I got to take my driver's test like a year and a half early. Um, I don't think I was 15 yet. Because but when they I needed turned, a driver. Yeah, because they needed a driver. And But when I turned 16, I wanted to get a job right away. And I kind of knew what I wanted to do until I actually got there. I mean, you go through a year of cooking uh, and you realize how hard back of the house really is. Yeah. I mean, it really is. But what it introduced me to was wine because this was the late 70s in California. If you didn't finish your bottle, you left it at the restaurant. Got it. And there was nothing special, but it was like, Wow. I was what one that's what I, that was that's a key question today. Where where'd the wine thing kick in? So you're you're working this restaurant, mm -hmm. you're working your tail off, yeah, cook hard. Yep. End of the night. There's a bunch of partial bottles. You know, of not wine. you know, it would be Friday and Saturday night. Right. You know, during the week there wouldn't be a lot because people wouldn't even order wine. It was right. kind of a it was an affordable restaurant. Um, but on the weekends, yeah. And it was nothing special, you know, Almaden, yeah, right. um, all that, all that sort of stuff, but it, it, they were varietals, you know? Right. Uh, so it was, it was a real introduction. And about that time, my mom took early retirement. I was a senior in high school. We moved up to San Francisco. So she took early retirement, even oh. though she was still working part-time. Um, so you were in high school when you moved? Yeah, the senior in high school. Oh, kiddo, we've got that in common. I moved when I was a junior in high school. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Okay. It's tough. It's very hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a school strike going on oh. in San Francisco when I arrived. And but my mom was pretty savvy. She she was her dad was a bricklayer, so he was a union man. And she said, if you don't want to cross that picket line, I'm not going to make you cross that picket line. You know. And I think I did one day and it was just ridiculous. It was worse than babysitting. And so I said, no, I don't, I don't want to. And she said, hey, well, 
I'm going to write a couple of letters and we're going to get you into the community college and get you to finish, you know, finish, I mean, get you to finish your degree, your high school degree. High school degree and, and so that's what she did. I was with maybe six other people. One guy was like 70 something getting his GED. Right. Uh, I was like the only teenager there getting, yeah. you know, so showed up downtown and downtown ended up graduating, you know, in January because I, because every, I was, you know, kind of pre-college for everything when I was, you know, down in California. God, that's wild. Yeah. So why, when, so why'd you guys move up to San Francisco? You know, I, my, my mother loved big cities and it huh. been, she, um, when she first, she grew up in St. Louis and when she first left home, her first husband uh, was in New York. Okay. And she loved the city. She really loved the city. Um, but they broke up. She had her first child, came out to California where her parents were living, and that's where she met my father. Never mm-hmm. really got to live in a big city. Yeah. And so when she retired, that was one of the things she really, really wanted to do. And uh, San Francisco being near an ocean as well, she really perfect. loved ocean. So it was really, it was perfect. And I was all, I'm a, I was for it. It wasn't easy, but it really turned out well because... So much closer to the to the wine country, San Francisco, you know. And I yeah, but were you thinking wine then? You're you're finishing high school and community college. Just went up to San Francisco, and we were to, living in Noe Valley, right? And so we'd go shopping, you know, and you'd get stuff at Bell Market, which is a small supermarket. But right. then you'd go to the Verbrugge's Meat down the street and buy your meat, and then we'd stop by Victorian Wines and Spirits. <laughs> And, and you're uh, eighteen. You're eighteen. By yeah, that time, I was eighteen. 18. Right. And uh, you know, so we'd go in and say, "Hey, you know, we got this roast." Everybody did this. Right. We got this roast, and you know, and they'd say, "Well, how many people are going to be there? Mm-hmm. And how much do you want to spend?" Yeah. And boom, and they'd find you something. And uh, it was, you know, everything from the three ninety nine Merlot from Italy. I don't even know where they got that. To at that time, you know, fifty dollar bottles of Stag's Leap Cabernet. Everything. Late seventies, late yeah. And so uh, that was really cool. Well, it came, it came um, uh, time. You know, it was I was. It was like the holidays, and they said, "Hey, you know, you're 18. Would you like to come and help us out with the busiest time of year?" And I said, "Sure." Oh, this is that Victorian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was that was kind of it, you know. Uh, so we always, when we did our shopping, we would come by and get stuff. And I remember the summer. Um, so summer, I think we moved there. You know, at Stern Grove, they have free concerts, free performances every Sunday. Right. And it's the thing. You go and you get your picnic get and your you picnic. put it out. Yeah. And, yeah. And I got a bottle of Chapelet Rosé that Tony Soder had made <laughs> for like four fifty. And it was such a great, it was such a great, it went with everything, you know. We have, I have to jump in. We're, me and I are laughing because this guy, Tony Soder's name is going to come up a whole bunch oh, in yeah, the next, yeah. next few minutes. Definitely but, okay, one of, probably funny. a mentor for both of us, but yes. especially me. How uh, funny. Yeah. yeah. So, for 450 Yeah. And so, but you know, amidst all this, I think, oh my God, I, I, I need to study wine. I wasn't sure if I was going to go straight to college or take a gap right. beer, as they call it these yeah. days. And But I did. And I just, you know, I applied and luckily... I mean, today, and I know a lot of people say this, I don't know that I could have got into UC, but I did. I got into UC, into the College of Ag and Environmental Sciences and Fermentation Science, and boom, Well, I did. Well, I did too, so we're pretty sharp yeah. cookies. <laughs> but I know what you mean about today. It's a, it's oh, a whole different world. Yeah. Um, so you're at Davis, you're a freshman, and so and you knew you're going you're going there for enology. Yeah, I didn't didn't change. I just went, went there for fermentation science right off the boom. bat. Chem one A, off you go. Whew, yeah. Yeah, remember that one? Yeah, I do. Whew. I had to uh, I actually I took I think I took eighteen units that first quarter. Oh Mia. And I had to drop out of Chem one A. I couldn't because I was working. I had part of my financial yeah. aid was working. And I really couldn't handle it. So what I did was I came in winter quarter and you could take 1A in winter, 1B in spring. And then I stayed for two summer sessions and I did Chem 1C and also organic chemistry all in one summer. Ooh, organic. I know, yeah. Organic. It was, it was, it was, it was insane. But that's how motivated I was. I was just so into it. I was so into it and I was ready, ready to go. But even though, well, help me with that because those are those space courses and... Your goal is to make wine. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. mine was too, to yeah. be in that. So you want to get into it. You want to have a wine class. 
And you're sitting there for a year, year and a half doing these, you know, the calculus and the chem and the organic chem and the you know, biochem, and they have nothing to do with making wine. And it's like, I, I had a tough time with that. I was really frustrated because like I wanted to get to it. And, yeah. Uh, but you were like, no problem, let's do it. I'm kind of a, a hoop jumper, you know. If I okay. see there's a few hoops I need to get through, well, let's get through them as quickly as possible um, so I can get to the stuff that I that I want to get to. Um, so that worked really well. And I was lucky, too. You know, I think I worked at the coffee house, which was student-run. Okay, um, right, right on the quad there. Yeah, yeah. right on the quad. And, uh, oh, the parties. Oh, my God. There's, uh, wow. <laughs> they threw parties there. Um, but then I was able to get a job in the department. Um, and so that really helped. In the department. Yeah. So first I worked, uh, for, um, Harry Brenner who ran the pilot, who ran the pilot winery. This is way back in the day when I never knew Harry. Yeah. He was a great old guy, you know, so I was checking bricks on these little one gallon fermentations (laughs) and I got really good at, uh, at pulling a siphon hose, uh, but um, it was great. And he said, you know, we're, we're kind of wrapping it up here. You know, we, we're not going to have work for you, but why don't you go up and talk to Ann Noble? I think she's looking for somebody for her lab. And Dr. I did. And, Dr. you know, Noble. washing yeah. glassware, setting up tastings. Before I even took any one of her classes, I was working in her lab. So, so I think you, that you, helped so me. Were you, was that like, uh, you're actually getting paid? I was actually getting paid because it, um, nice. it was part of, so uh, anybody who hired me would get part of the payment from, my financial Your aid. Your financial aid. Yeah. Okay. Work study, I think yeah. they called it back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, being involved like that made it a lot easier. And being in contact with, you know, graduate students working in her lab um, that had been through a lot. Of, it just made it easier. There's well, a lot of support. Yeah, that's neat because you're like a sophomore, junior. So you're you're seeing you're, what was nice for you in doing that is you're seeing where, I, where you're going to be. Yeah. And I, I never had that because I didn't, you know, hang out with grad students. So it's kind of like, you know, where's this leading? Where's this going? That type of thing. Yeah. But you're working with Dr. Noble. Now, yeah. did you actually become her research assistant and all that? And you all know, that? Uh, I never, I think she would have loved it if I would have wanted to go on for a secondary degree. But I, right. I, my whole thing was I want to get out there and make wine. Got you it. You know, I think that was a little bit of a disappointment for her because I, I did do well in her classes and, and so on and so forth. And we're still, I mean, she wished me a happy birthday last month so nice. she's she's a great lady still is but i think she was disappointed that i didn't want to go on and do any further further studies uh but like i say i wanted to get out you want to go do it I wanted to get out there and she's famous for the uh, were you there when she kicked in this in the oh, aroma wheel yeah the aroma wheel which we should explain that for so everyone, it's, it's just it's, it's kind of cool it's a way you know a lot of people when they see uh, the likes of somebody like Doug or I taste or a master some taste, they're going like, wow, where do they come up with, how do they find these things, right. these descriptors in the, in the wine? And it's just practice is what it is. Mm-hmm. But the aroma wheel really kind of codifies it. Okay. So it breaks it down into, you know, the woody smells. And, you know, then it goes from the woody smells into specific smells that can be related to woody and kind of all around the fruit spectrum and everything. It really... It really does help a lot to have that because uh, they call it coming up with a veridical name, which is the true, the true name for what you're smelling. And we've all had this before, even if you know you're not into analyzing wine that way. Mm-hmm. If you just like what you like, but you walk into a room sometimes and there's a smell. It takes you right back to childhood, mm-hmm. but you can't quite come up with what it is. So. The practice is jumping that gap and being able to come up with the name. Oh, wow. yeah, that was grandma's, um, right. you know, cologne or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, so. Sandalwood, whatever it was. Sandalwood, yeah. So, and that's what's, because I always kind of wonder about, but I, I was thinking about it last night when I was thinking about today and um, the whole aroma wheel, it gives people a commonality, a common knowledge reference point. You know, it smells like, you know, okay, whatever the aroma is going to be. That's pineapple. Okay. That's pineapple. And that's close to this, which, so people can kind of uh, relate, which helps take some of that hocus pocus spookiness out of wine. It it does. It does. It makes it a little bit, you know, especially if you kind of want to have a conversation with somebody about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is always whether you like it or not, but. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, amen to that. Yum yum or yuck, as I was learning early on. So, 
So during, but college summers, you were in school. Did you work? You worked some summers in in college. I, I did. So the first, um, the first summer I was there, I was busy with all my summer sessions. Right, stuff. right. Uh, the next summer, I think I did come down to San Francisco and work in at Victorian Wine and Spirits a little bit. Okay. Um, and I did try. I tried to get a internship for 1982, but I was only 20 years old, you know, and I was pretty green still. Right. Um, and I ended up not getting one and I was kind of disappointed. I think I painted dorms, uh, one summer too. There I did go. paint dorms one summer too. Um, I was disappointed. Um, but you know, as it turned out the next year I got, I got the best thing ever when I, I got an internship at Chapelet working for Kathy. Cool. Was the best thing ever, you know. Yeah. So sometimes so that, when was that a summer internship? No, it was a it was a full fall. Full fall. Yeah. So, so I think I started in August on the bottling line, and she kept me through December because she's, you know, when I was interviewing with her, I also had an offer from Claude Bois. Okay. Steve over Test in, was there. Oh man. <laughs> over in Healdsburg. <laughs> And uh, he said, oh, you know, I'll probably offer you a full-time job, you know, so yeah, you know, and then I interviewed with Kathy and she said, is there any reason you wouldn't take the internship? I said, well, you know, I, I got another offer from somebody and they said that they would yeah, offer me a full-time job most likely. And she said, well, I could do that. <laughs> and and so I said, well, okay, all right. You know, uh, I'd rather work for a woman. I'd rather be here in Napa and right. I like this place. And so she started me in August on the bottling line, working on the line, and kept me through December. Philip Titus was her assistant Philip, winemaker. So I'm jumping in. Kathy Corson was winemaker yeah. Chapelet. She's yeah. been on the taste. She's fantastic. Yes, she's awesome we have a, a kind of a small group. We all, you know, a small ancestors group of winemakers, even though through generations. And uh, she's up at Chapelet, and she just killed it up there. So she hired you. So you had not had you graduated yet? Or was uh, she, still? she uh, so first was an internship. Okay. So I spent the whole fall quarter there. Basically, okay. it's what I did. I spent the whole fall quarter there. And she had Philip, you know, showing me how to fine, uh, even starting to use the, the filters and all that stuff and getting familiar with it because she knew I was going to come, you know, in June, as soon as, I, right. as soon as I graduated. And so it was really cool. So the internship was like for two months, but they paid me by the hour kind of on both sides Got uh, to kind of have me around. Since Philip is still up there as winemaker. I know. I always knew, you know, I always knew Philip was just like the perfect guy to be. I mean, even when I first got there, you know, and it was it was way, it was long before Kathy was going to leave and Philip had other right. jobs in between. I always knew he was the perfect winemaker for Chapelet. Interesting. Really, he was going to be the perfect winemaker. I got to yeah. get him on here. Plus yeah. he and his brother have their own label too. Yeah, Titus. Yeah. So question, I don't think he was there. Maybe he was. Was Dave Perio there? Oh yeah, Dave. So Dave <clears throat> hadn't quite started when I first was there. Uh, Bill Ward. Bill Ward. Bill Ward. I went to school. Oh, I had classes with Bill Ward. He was a character. At Davis. He yeah. was a total character. I loved him. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Really That's good. That's right. Guy. He was around the vineyards, and so David started working with him probably. Yeah. And then and then I do remember when David... Uh, and David's another one who I think his mother was a little older when he was born, mm -hmm. or his mom had like twins when she was 42 older. or something. I forget. Yeah. I, you, what you don't know is I moved out here as a junior in high school from Chicago, and I got on the basketball team. And there's this kid a year behind me who could shoot the lights out of at like a Steph Curry in that era. Wow. His name was Dave Perio. Wow, yeah. So I played basketball with Dave Perio for two years in high school. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I love it. <laughs> so you're up there. So you graduated so you graduated June of eighty three or eighty right. four? Yeah. Eighty three. Got it. Okay. Oh no, June of eighty four. I'm sorry. That's wrong. June okay. of eighty four. I remember so Elias graduated a little earlier than all of us, so we were we were colleagues in school, and he got the job here, and we were all so jealous. He was already out there working, you know, and he was doing like painting the bottling room or something. I remember. Oh, I gave him the worst job in the world. <laughs> but um, this for, no, because he he interviewed here in March '84, yeah, and all he had was his transcript, yeah, yeah. and he was um, graduating in two weeks, and uh, you know, I, true story. I'm looking at this, he really, he'd worked a couple summer jobs at Martini yeah, and Cuvisson. Right. The guy said, yeah, you know, he's good. We had him busting pallets all summer. All he has is transcript. Yeah. So I'm looking at, we were five years apart. I'm looking at, it's like, you know, organic chem, you got an A, I got a B, you know, <laughs> physics. 
Oh, we talked about Dr. Cook, drinking at lunch, all that stuff. You know, physics, he got an A. I took a pass, no pass. It's like, this kid's smarter than me. I got to hire him. So I hired him and uh, he started... And, you know, we were both pretty green, but I gave him the worst job the first day I could think of. And um, he did it without any complaints. And, and 35 years later, we're still doing it. Together. Yeah, he's cool. a great... Whenever I started to bitch and moan about how hard the work was, I just thought of Elias because I, I knew how hard he was working the whole time, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, he yeah. worked hard. Yeah. Um, but during David's... Because so, I've talked to him. I asked him the other day. I said, hey, Mia, Davis. He goes, oh, we had a gas. We had a group. Oh, my what God. What was your, your... Tell me about the Friday night group. Oh, man. So Francoise <laughs> Pichon, Straka, right. now uh, would do a... Ta- would put on tastings for okay. us. Um, and she had kind of the best... She was staying at the best place was close to campus. It was like this two-story <laughs> condo thing. It was like all the rest of us were, you know, not not so well off. Right. And we'd do a tasting. And she would make tro- chocolate truffles for after the tasting. And it was just great. So it was her, uh, Elias, Marco Capelli, Marco Capelli, Daniel Press. Okay. There were a few other people that, that kind of came in and out, but that was the core group. We were all in the same classes together the whole, right, right. The whole time through. So it was great. The, the best story about Elias was Good, Daniel, I hear this Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Press used to, uh, he'd study late, you know, so he'd be sleeping in class, you know, and he just, his head would be back, mouth open the whole nine yards. And Elias would have a pencil and just be putting it in and out of his mouth, you know, and we'd all be cracking up and there would be Daniel just sleeping away. Sleeping away. (laughs) Well, Elias said you guys would get together and everybody would bring a bottle of wine in in a brown paper bag, you know, taste some blind and talk about guess try to guess what it was. And he said a baguette and cheese and that was our dinner Friday night. No, it was, it was, they they were the best, uh, the best times, the best times, really good. So it was all, it was wine. So you guys are all doing wine. Yep. We still going on doing the keggers and all that stuff too? You know, not, 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 not very, not yeah. very often, you know, we'd get together every now and then and do a potluck too, right. uh, and all bring bottles and cook stuff as well. So that was, that was good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you're out. Kathy gives, Kathy's good on her promise. You got a full-time job. You're at Chapelet. What are you doing? Well, you know, I was the enologist and that was, you ah. know, you know how it is, Doug, uh, every winery has this sort of hot seat position where people kind of move in and out, move in and out there because there's just, there's pressure on that position. Somebody wants to move up and they can't move up and um, they're not getting enough responsibility and la la la. It's all all like that. And that, that was the analogist position. And Kathy always thought of it as the next assistant winemaker. So she, my first harvest there, I worked, we ran a day shift and a night shift and I worked a night shift and Philip, was the supervisor of the night shift. So it was pretty, we worked hard, but it was kicked back. Well, the next year I'm the enologist. I'm working on day shift with Kathy and she is just testing everything, you know. Yeah, right there. Because you had, to, I had to, I did analysis. I did cellar work. I did the whole, you know, it, it's a nice thing about working at a winery. You're not stuck in You weren't stuck size. in the lab. So you were, you were hauling hoses and washing tanks All and moving wine. All sorts of stuff, yeah. Right. She, and she was just, it was pressure, you know, it was good pressure. Uh, but that was kind of the test. And then you hang around, you know, until Philip decides he's going to leave and, and you could become assistant winemaker. But I really enjoyed, you know, working there uh, because Kathy always gave a lot of responsibility and she was very good with the hierarchy. So hmm. she would, you know, regular times when we weren't kind of split shifting, she would go through Philip and then Philip would go to the rest of us. You Interesting. Know? So um, it, there was never a jump over and it really, it worked out quite, quite well. It made everything clear, which I, which I enjoyed. Which is nice. Yeah. Good. So you were uh, analogous, you're doing cellar work. So you become assistant winemaker? Became uh, assistant winemaker, <clears throat> not until 87. Not so until it was about 87. Three or four years. Yeah, three or four years. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And uh, then at some point you moved over to Pepe. Yeah, that was uh, 89. Okay. No, take it back, 88. 88. 88, yeah. So okay. the family still owned. Uh, Robert, Pepe, Robert Pepe Winery. Yeah, right. Robert Pepe Winery. The family still owned it. And uh, Tony Soder was consulting there uh, and also making his etude at. His, Robert Pepe. So Tony Soder, famous 
Wonderful consultant, great yeah. winemaker. Yeah. Started a brand named Etude, yes. which he has since sold yes, to, who did he sell it to again? Uh, yeah, Behringer, Behringer. The Behringer Group. Yeah. And he's up in Oregon with Michelle making Soder family yep. wines, which yep. are beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful, and, really uh, gorgeous. So he was consulting at Pepe. So is that, did, is that why you moved to Pepe or was there or was it just time for a, a new new place? Well, Kathy was always very good <clears> about that too. It's another props I have to give her. She said, you know, let me know when you want to leave because hmm. I'll help you. And she did. She networked me, I, you know, with a lot of people that she knew. It was great, you know, Donning Sample. And right. I just got to know a lot of people. Um, and this job opened up and it seemed seemed like a good thing because it was it was real it was a winemaking position, you know, and it was it was pretty awesome. Uh, so it was a great a great break and it it was really interesting for me. Oh, so you, you were hired as winemaker, not assistant winemaker. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was great. I mean, yeah. it was it was really awesome, and it was very interesting for me. It was my first introduction to Custom Crush, having somebody um, bring grapes in that wasn't part of the winery, uh, and make and because that's what Tony did with his etude, he brought his grapes there. But he also consulted on the Pepe wines, so okay. I was working with a consultant as well uh, in that aspect. So. That was an, another big introduction for me. So that's 89. Okay, because I was thinking about that last night. Because the, my history with, with Bob Pepe was the, the, the midnight, the midnight get-togethers. Yeah. And I think you were probably there for a few of them. But there, a, a couple. You years, guys used to get together for football after we, Harvest, after too. After I harvest, remember that. Yeah, it would yeah. be uh, Cake, Bruce Cakebread and his cellar crew. He had a bigger crew. Yeah. He had like six or seven guys. Yeah. And I, we, Elias, who was Elias and me, and Pepe had, you know, a couple yeah. guys with Tony. Yeah, so it would be Pepe and Schaefer versus Cakebread. We'd have an annual uh, turkey bowl, we called it, in oct- late October, November, usually a rainy day. And... And, you know, everybody's burned out from harvest and we drink a lot of beer and play touch football. It was fun. It was really fun. And it got really competitive, too. I mean, really competitive. I bet. But the, the thing was, we had a secret weapon, two of them. Well, Tony played quarterback in college, so he could throw the ball a mile. Yeah. And Elias is the fastest person in the valley. Yeah. No yeah. One, so he, Tony would just say, go. And yeah. Elias would go and go throw him with the ball and we'd, we'd win. Yeah. So. It's pretty fun. Yeah. But Pepe, so Pepe, you know, they hung their hat on Sauvignon Blanc. They sure did. And we all had small presses. That press cycle is two hours. And he'd, he'd do oh 20 or 30 tons of Sauvignon Blanc, and it's four or five press loads. So he's going till midnight or one. So no matter how late I was here at Schaefer driving home, I knew Pepe was still at work. So, so I'd always swing in, and we'd have a have a beer while he's waiting for the last press load to finish up. Yeah, but, it, um, was, it, was, <clears throat> it was the hard way uh, back in that day. They also had those uh, uh, skin contact drainer tanks. That's right, I remember that those things. they used to do the Sauvignon Blanc in, and they oh. went, oh, man. Yeah, that's that's how you make orange wine. You can do that today. Oh my god! But that's I think that I was trying to think too when I first met you. That was I probably met you in passing through Elias. Through yeah, those, those I, years, but that's when I really met you because you were there. Yeah, and all of a sudden I'm showing up and Bob and I are goofing around drinking beer and you're trying to get some work done. And right? We're, yeah, we're, 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 <laughs> and we're like goofing off. So yeah. The other thing about the '80s, I didn't. I remember this last night. Did you ever play city softball? Oh yeah. Remember I, that? Oh man. I was a so- I was a softball junkie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, remember, I remember playing on different teams and a couple all guy teams and some co ed teams. It was fun. Oh yeah, we uh, <laughs> out there. We used to we had a, a co ed team, the Blarney Ballers. I mean, we yeah. just never lost in St. Helena. It just wasn't. We had a we traveled to tournaments and uh, went to a couple of national tournaments. You know, was for a while we were ranked in the top ten in California. I mean, we were we were good. You were hardcore. Was Delbondio on that team? Delbondio was on it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Playing yeah. shortstop. I was third base, so he was right there next oh, to me. You guys, hardcore red hats. Yeah, yeah. See, I played in a whole different caliber of team. So, so <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. I had a flashback. I'd forgotten this happened. We had the late game. It was like the eight o'clock, nine yeah. o'clock game, or the lights. So no one's there. Yeah. Because there's sometimes there's fans for the early games, but it's the late game. No one's there. Uh, I've got a cold or a sore throat. So I went to Safeway and bought a bottle of Jack Daniels before the game. Oh, boy. So when I go home, I'm going to have my little hot toddy because I've got this thing coming on. i got to travel the next day or something. So I'm sitting there, you know, with my teammates, and somehow I mentioned I got this bottle of bourbon in the car. And some guy goes, hey, why don't you go get that now? So I, I did. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is public drinking. So we got the brown bag. But no one's there. And this whole team, all of a sudden, we're just taking hits off this bottle of Jack. And it's just like, it was a pretty fun game. Back was, in the it day. It was crazy. Back it was in really the day. crazy stuff. We yeah. couldn't do that now. Uh, yeah, at Chapelet, when, you know, we used to have uh, some 
closets that had specified things. We used to burn sulfur in barrels to get the oxygen out and you right. know, do all that sort of stuff. And we called it the sulfur closet. Well, the sulfur closet <laughs> also had a nice bottle of scotch in it for the night crew. And for we'd go night. and have a little, just a little nip, little shot, and then go shoot some hoops. Uh, you know, back on the concrete pad. <laughs> I'm with you. So, getting to Tony, Tony Soder. So, you're working at Peppy as winemaker. Tony's consulting. Is that that's when you first met him? Well, I met so, him first at Chapelet. He actually brought a little bit of stuff to Chapelet one year, okay. and I remember we had some barrels that came in for him that were. The, the Cooper shall go unnamed, but Tony liked his barrels with the right heavy toast. Right. And it came in, I took the bung out and I turned them over and like charcoal came out. And I said, um, hey, Tony, you probably want to look at these. I don't, I don't yeah. think you're going to like what you see. And right. he, sure enough, he looked at it and he went, oh my God. Right. So I had met him before, but it was very short. Quick. This was almost daily. He wasn't there daily, but yeah. he was there a lot. And uh, At Pepe. At Pepe, yeah. Yeah. So you guys got to know each other. We got to know each other. Was he working with Bob directly or you or both of you? Both of us. Yeah. Uh, but um, a little more me. I remember when he brought the Pinot Noir in, uh, it was um, very, very interesting because he would, if the stems would r- were ripe, he'd just put it through this little antique crusher right in the top of the tank. And Pepe's tanks were way up there, yeah. you know, 30 feet neat get this big glass pallet that had a, um, a plywood top to it, put a half ton bin of grapes there and say, get on it, get up there and shovel the grapes into the crusher, into the little rollers right into the tank. And I said, what? He made you do it? Well, he, he, he I had to do it a few times, right? I mean, yeah. I had to do it a few times. But it's his wine. But, but well, everybody did it. I tell you, everybody okay, did it. And good. I thought he was nuts, you know? And it just kept going, you know? Because I, I hadn't made Pinot Noir up to that point. And it was like, God, these people are really crazy what they'll do. Yeah. And But you have to, you know, you have to do all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I, I remember that day very well. So this was 89. 88, 89. 80, 89. Was so he worked with us in 80, end of 86, mm-hmm. 87, and part of 88. And it was a, it's a, it's a really long story. But um, he basically, we started over, Elias, Tony, and I, and we took this thing up, and it, and it got us on the, the right path. It was pretty incredible. So I had a similar experience right before you got to work with him. But I do remember... I do remember, so must, you must have been there, because I stopped by one night to see Pepe, and there was a cot. There was like a, 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 sleep, <laughs> oh, yeah. a, a, cot oh, yeah. to, a cot to sleep on yep. right there in the cellar. I said to Bob, I said, what's that? He goes, that's Tony's cot. I said, what? He goes, well, he sleeps with his tanks. And that just struck me as like, okay, what's going on? And, and you know, we know we were buddies, so I still talked to him. It's, it's just like, at that time... Certain points of fermentation, you know, you want you want it hot, you want it cool. It's a certain certain bricks. It's time to cool it down, and you know, so you don't blow off all the fruit. And that was an eye opener, to the point where I came back with Elias, and we started because this is before you had automatic, yeah, temperature control. Now you know, Elias can sit there at home at you know midnight before he goes to bed and say, oh, "I'm going to cool that tank off and cool that tank off on his phone." Cool. Not then. We used to have. We used to realize, you know, there was like, <clears throat> with Cabernet, it was like, okay, it's going to go. It's at 18, 19 bricks, and the temp's at 78, and it's going to take off. And I want it hot for like three or four hours, but then I want to cool it off. Well, if I go home, I'm going to miss it. It's going to drop 10 bricks. I'm getting technical here. What the heck? But the only answer was, we got someone's got to cover the tank. And we didn't have a big crew. It was Elias and me. So... Um, what we started doing was I'd take off at six or seven, go home, get to sleep, and I'd and he'd he'd leave clean up and leave at ten or eleven. And I'd wake up and come back at twelve or one if we had a couple tanks that were gonna pop, just so you're there to cool them off in time. The thing I remember about is I used to have this sawed off blazer with a convertible. I'd be driving down Main Street at one in the morning and everybody's coming out of Anna's, you know, they're closing down the bar and I'm all bundled up with a thermos of coffee and everybody's going, Hey Schaefer, going, hey, you know, you know, everybody's <laughs> drunk and I'm, you know, going to work. <laughs> But that all of a sudden, we I saw the difference. Yeah, you know the quality, just be able to think. And I got that from Tony. Yeah, so he slept with his tanks. And it's it's important for Cabernet, but it's like essential for Pinot Noir because right. Pinot Noir, the fermentations are even quicker, and they can get way too hot or not get hot enough, 
um, it's it's just way more important with Pinot Noir. So the kind of dedication that's that's definitely what Tony. Yeah, well, he is. Tony had. What What did you learn from Tony? Oh, you know, the, one of the biggest things I learned from Tony is um, Kathy was all about it's okay to make mistakes, just don't make the big mistake, which mm. is which is really really important. And Tony was all about. Um, if you learn something from a mistake, it's not a mistake anymore. And so wow. you have to learn something from every everything that happened. I, re, I forget which harvest it was, but um, I was never great, you know, in the days before Vinaflora Enos, these uh, freeze-dried, you know, malolactic bacteria, when you actually had to build up your own culture. I was never really great at it. And it was back in the day before enzymatics too. So we'd be spotting chromatograms spotting. very, you know, it yeah. takes, it takes hours, uh, right. to, to finally get a, a read on what's going on. And I'm, you know, making everything happen, you know, and I'm going, Oh, this is good. And so I'm spotting everything that we have at the winery at Pepe R stuff and Tony's Pinot Noir and there's Tony's Pinot Noir. It's already done with malolactic. Boom. Oh God, I am so mad. I didn't realize it was one of the rogue bacterias that, gets going before alcoholic fermentation and uh, creates a lot of VA in addition to, and so it was a bad thing. And then yeah. I felt bad. And, I, know, and Tony, I, know, I know that one. Yeah, it's Tony's like, you know, well, yeah. it's, it's not really, you know, a fault, but what are we going to learn from this? You know, it's, so it's like something went wrong and you could assign blame or not. It doesn't really matter, yeah. but what are we going to learn from it? You know, uh, what, this is this is what's important, and so that's the thing that that huh. I always I always see because stuff is going to go wrong. Yeah. You know, how do you deal with it? What do you learn from it? Um, those are the important things. Oh, I know, and those and those were the years. You know, <clears throat> things still go wrong now. Yes, um, I'm happy to say not as frequently and not to the same extent. But boy, I'm sure you've had the same experiences. You know, it's like when that glycol pump goes down in the middle of harvest on Labor Day weekend and you don't have one on the shelf. What do you do? You've got to have your glycol circulating your tanks to cool the tanks. Well, after we kind of suffered and learned through that one, it's like, gee, maybe we better have one on the shelf. And then you think, what else do we need an extra one? And we really don't need two forklifts, but if one goes down, we're in deep trouble. So, you, you know... Yeah. But we've, so you, you kind of, you know, Elias has become, become a master of that stuff. You know, I'm signing the checks. I said, like, do we really need that? He, and he looks at me and goes, and then he gives me the scenario. Doug, we yeah. just did 80 tons of yeah. grapes and this thing blew up. We go, okay, you're right. We yeah, need that. Yep, yep. No, good. That's a great lesson. Yeah, it is. It's really, really good stuff because, um, you know, it's, a, it's something that nature's really in control of what we do with grape growing. Right winemaking um there's so much that can happen only if you just consider whether you know forget about a lot of other things that can happen so you got to learn to roll with the punches but also do the absolute best job you can not just roll with the punches uh so and it's it's one of the most important things well it is and also um at first the first few go-rounds was some a, a quote crisis in the cellar it was like oh my gosh oh my gosh and then it became kind of like okay we got this one let's let's figure this out i remember last night going okay we can you know he'd be like what about this i go what about that oh, let's do that let's you know and we'd jerry rig something and get us through yeah it's kind of and i always felt really cool that was great yeah it is uh, it does feel really good yeah yeah so you're a peppy Going back to Pepe, how long you were Pepe until just a when? couple years, just, just a couple, couple years, years. eighty eight, eighty nine, <laughs> and I was I was ready to kind of uh, move along, and I had <clears throat> I had a really good offer from um a a big winery that okay. I can't name to okay. be the winemaker. I mean, it was like it was the incredible kind of stuff, like tripling my salary, you know, that kind of thing, the whole thing. But I'm not, you know. I was a little worried. I'd been through just a very extensive interview process, and I remember my ex, who's now my ex at the time, he, he said to me, you know, Mia, what are you going to do when they offer you that job? And I said, oh, they're not going to offer me the job, you know? <laughs> and he said, this is like the fourth or fifth interview, and you're gone for hours. They're going to offer you the job. Yeah, that's coming And I said, way. they're not going to offer me the job. And then they offered me the job. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know? <laughs> and so I talked to Tony about it, and he said, well... Uh, here's what I got for you, you know, and, oh, wow. and 
that to me was like, I knew the the learning curve was going to be just incredible. You know, the other job would have been great if I wanted to be somebody corporate, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and work my way up out of winemaking into some corporate thing, you know, some executive vice president or what have you, Mm -hmm. um, which there's nothing wrong with that, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't me. Um, and so I took less money and went to work, uh, with Tony, uh, and for a while there, I was kind of slotted to be the winemaker at Spotswood. I didn't really, I realized working a little bit with Tony that I didn't want to be at just one place. Because he was consulting. So he at that time, he was consulting with a number of wineries. So he, he, was, he yeah. hired you to help him out. Yeah. Because yeah. he had a big load. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, because I think he he wasn't he he was the initial winemaker at Spots. He was right. He was yeah okay. yeah. And so you were heading that way, but you said no thanks. Yeah, I I just I would I knew I would rather be working with multiple wineries at Got that it. point. You know, you think about it. I think about it. Starting at Chapelet, it's an isolated winery. You know, it's yes. up on a hill, um, so you don't get a lot of interaction with other wineries when you're up there. And just even coming to Pepe and having the interaction, you know. You can actually borrow stuff. I remember, you know, um, I forget if we borrowed a forklift or if Farniente borrowed a forklift from us. And we drove it, you know, all the way across 29 and up Oakville, (laughs) you know. And you couldn't do that at Chapelet. I mean, everything's too far away, you know. Just to go to the hardware store was a big deal. And so from that to Pepe to then working with several wineries. Right. Wow. I mean, that is just like, you know, fruit from all over the place all kinds of different ownership going on, wineries getting built. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pass that Equipment, up. Equipment, cooperage yeah. differences, yeah. Add, yeah, you know, approaches. That's kind of neat. For, for a young winemaker, that yeah. was really, really exciting. So would it, this is, so this is what year, 1990-ish? 1990, yeah. And so you're working with Tony or you're like divide and conquer. Or you're both kind of working with each of his accounts because the list is. Yeah. Yeah, we were... Spotswood, Araujo, Viader, Dalle Valle, Ressler, yeah. Fisher. And we didn't have all of those to start with, but we had yeah. usually six at one time. Okay. Uh, we worked together a lot. Um, and then there were times when uh, when it was just me or just him, but we worked together a whole lot. And uh, um, especially early years when we were at Rombauer, we had a lot of the clients at, at Rombauer, um, custom crushing. Custom crushing. We okay. were we were kind of twenty four seven there. Okay. Uh, um, during harvest, especially. Okay. So you all right? So I'm, I don't I want I don't want to get my timing mixed up. Yeah. So, but in ninety one you started Celine. That's right. Your own label. I did. Yeah. Okay. You know it was so one of those. You're, consult, you're working with Tony. You're consulting. You start your own label, custom crushing. You're busy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? Fun? It was it was awesome. You know, I was twenty nine or thirty years old. Yeah. So that's when you do stuff like that. I can't to think about it now. I'll, I'll pop a few more gray hairs just thinking about it. Uh, but back then, it was it was so awesome. You know, it was really good. It was really yeah. good. I really really needed to have something of my own. And when I was working with Tony, I mean, they were they were his clients. You know, they were his clients. His, right. Um, and so he really encouraged me. He said, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can, you know, nice. uh, with, with starting a brand of your own. And he certainly did. It was, it was, um, it was really, really helpful uh, to have his oh, experience yeah. and expertise in so many ways. Uh, but it was, it was what I, it was the best thing. It was the best thing ever. But yeah, it was, people often ask me, you know, well, how are you doing this? You know, you got this many and it's just like, well, I get up early and I go to bed late most days and put a hundred miles on the car about every day, just driving from place to place, you know, but your own baby. Oh yeah. It was, it was just great. And I even wholesaled the wines for the first two or three years here in California myself. So I was doing deliveries and just all kind of crazy, (laughs) boy. (laughs) Crazy stuff. All right, so that's going on. Yeah. And that's still going on 20, 28 yeah. years later. Yeah. I, did the, yeah. I did the math. Yep. And then, But meanwhile, you're still working with Tony. Yep. At some point, Tony rides off. Well, he doesn't ride off in the sunset, but I think he he he, he backed out of consulting at oh, some man. point. Oh, man, well, it was like, it's weird. So we, there's also more backstory. So Francoise Pichon, who right. hosted our tastings when we were even younger people at Davis, becomes the assistant winemaker at Rombauer. 
okay. uh, when we're custom crushing there. Oh, I didn't know she worked there. Okay. She's having, she's taking leave to have her first child. And we go and steal her away because we need some, we need more people. Um, oh, you grabbed her. So okay. we, we grabbed her and she it was perfect because she wanted to get something part-time. Right. Didn't want to be full-time because she's got Isabel, you right. know? Um, and uh, so it worked out really well. And about that time, Tony, uh, you know, leases his own place on Big Ranch Road. Well, that's right. The old uh, Marcello place. Yeah, the yeah, old yeah. Chateau. Right, the Chateau, uh, yeah. Place. Right, so, I remember that. Um, we're putting that together. Araujo's building a winery. I think that was 93. And that, I think that was the most challenging harvest that I, but the funnest harvest. I was up there. We were crushing at Araujo. We were crushing at, you know, Etude down. Oh man, it was, it was incredible. You're running. Yeah. Running, running. It was a tough year too. I remember that. It it was was a a challenging year, year, a challenging year. Okay. So you're doing that. So he's got Etude going and... He keeps consulting. When does he kind of back out he, of consulting? He backs out of consulting really hard in 98. But he okay. was he was backing down, you know, because he was looking for property and, right. you know, wanting to, do, wanting to do other things. And consulting is really, really a good thing, but it can, it can drain you really. And especially Etude was a really going business. I mean, it was, you know... Um, it was he had gone. employees, I yeah. mean, real employees, you know, and that's, so it was a going thing, you know, with bank loans and the whole that, thing. Whole, that whole and, nine yards. And selling so, it and marketing it. And marketing thing. it and all that sort so of he, stuff. So he backs down, so you, are you basically step in and take over the clients? Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Which at that point were um, Della Valle and Spotswood for a short period of time, right. Via Dare, um, I took on Fisher kind of independently a little bit later. Um, okay. And Bressler had be, Bressler had become a client as well independently. What was that like for you? It was more work. No, it was it, it was, was good. You know, there can be. Um, it was all good. Uh, there can be kind of a triangulation that happens sometimes. You know, when you mm-hmm. have ownership and consultant, and then the assistant of the consultant. You know, um, right. there can get to be a triangulation too, too much, that can. Right make it more complicated. Um, and this actually made it simpler. It nice. actually made it simpler just to work directly with clients. Uh, you know, that, and you've, and you've continued on, you're still consulting. Yes. Still consulting. Still yeah. have a number of clients. Uh, just a couple right just a now, couple. just okay. a couple right now. Yeah. Bressler has, has wound down, but, uh, Chimarosa is a Cabernet client up on, uh, Howl Mountain. And they also have a little tiny bit of Nebbiolo, which is really fun. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. real consulting at, uh, Palma's, Palma's Vineyard. They have a full-time right. winemaker, Tina Mitchell, yeah. who's awesome. I know Tina. Uh, so that's really just actual nice. consulting rather than contract winemaking. You still like it? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I've got to ask you though. So, I've always wondered with you guys who consult with for more than one winery, and you, you've done it for years. With it's it's got to be a juggling. And how do you handle the thing? I mean, let's say you have five or six clients, and two or three are just the wines are just out of sight and getting high. I hate to say high scores, but whatever. There, and the other there's two three clients that aren't getting the same scores. Do so they the the ones that aren't doing as well come to you and say, hey, you know what's going on? Are you giving me my full you know, are you telling those guys things you're not telling me? Or how, how do you handle, does that happen or how do you handle Well, that? you know, I, I think, you know, scores are one thing, but everybody always wants higher scores. It's funny. You can get a hundred points and, you know, what do you do after that, right? Still not good enough, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, what do you do after that? Um, so the score thing is always there with every single client. It's it's always there, whether right. whether it's spoken or not. That's okay. It's the part of the business. Um, but the thing is, is how much time you're spending somewhere else. Everybody thinks that when you're not there, you know, you're, you're spending time. And so you, you, you pick your clients out. Uh, you work with people that, you know, you have, you can have a good personality relationship and there are people that realize that it's not how many hours you're spending there. Got you it. know what I mean? So, and it doesn't mean that you're helping the guy down the road. Right. Uh, you're not necessarily there. But that does happen. I can tell yeah. you. Yeah. People we would think, oh, they're down. They're over there. Now yeah. And, you yeah. Know, doing this now. And it's just it's part of the thing. It's part of the thing. If if you if you want something different, you need a full time winemaker, an employee Good that point. shows up and you pay them and you have benefits and you know right. all, all that. That's fine. You can you can definitely do that. It's their and choice. It, and everybody comes to that point at some if they're successful. 
you know, Tony used to use the, you get to 100 tons, it's time to start thinking about you need to have your own facility and yeah. therefore you need to have full-time, some full-time employees, right. you know, so. So what's the secret to a successful consulting relationship? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's matching personalities. And so, you know, uh, clients that Andy Erickson works with, right. that Aaron Pott works with, that Heidi Barrett, she doesn't work with too many now, work works with are different than than people that I'd work with. Celia Welch, you know, the same thing. We've we've had mm-hmm. several almost crossovers, especially Celia and I, and she ends up with somebody very happy and I end up with the other very happy. Interesting. You know, so uh it's all all of that. So it's it's personalities. There's uh there's a really good book that I've found very, <laughs> very useful. It's called The Four Tendencies, as by a woman named Gretchen Rubin. And she divides people up and it's all based on how you respond to your own inner expectations, whether you um, take care of those and how you respond to outer expectations, how you take care of those. And based on that, she divides people up. It is very, very useful. It's it's very useful to know your own Mm -hmm. because then it makes it easier to spot the people that you'll work with very, very easily. You know, and it's also experience. I mean, you know, every one of my clients... Um, I'm happy to say I don't, you know, turn and walk the other way, even if we didn't part ways, you know, very nicely, no problem, you know, and it's oftentimes it's even a better relationship, but it's the working relationship is something that's different. It it very much is something that's different. So. Well, good for you. And you know, this business, Doug, right? I mean, we talk about, people talk about six degrees of separation among everybody in the world. Well, if you're in wine and food, there's less than a degree. Right. So you have to, um, you have to let bygones be bygones and mm-hmm. nobody's wrong. They just, people need to head in the direction that they need mm-hmm. to head in. And that's, that's the way it is. So. Sound advice, my friend. Oh boy. <laughs> so back to Celine, yeah. the name. Tell me about the origin of the name. Oh yeah. That's a, it's a tough thing to do when you're not putting your own name on the, uh, on the label uh, to find a name that really clicks. Mm-hmm. And Selene actually comes from uh, Greek mythology. She is the mother goddess of the full moon. So mm. most people are familiar with Artemis or in the Roman Diana, who's the maiden go- goddess of the waxing moon. Right. And then Selene or Luna in the Roman is the mother goddess of the full moon. And then Hecate is the old wise crone goddess of the waning moon. So it's Maiden, mother, crone. And it. it's just, I, I like moon stuff. I'm not really that much into biodynamics or things like that. But to me, knowing where the moon is really grounds me. Uh, doesn't matter where you are. You could be selling wine in New York. Mm-hmm. The moon is going to be in the same phase as it is here in Napa mm-hmm. Valley. So if you're at a place where you can see it and the moon's at a place where you can go look at it, yeah. it'll look the same. I'm a moon guy. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. All my kids are too. It's really cool. Super. And you make uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot. Yeah. And in 2002, we added uh, Cabernet, which mm-hmm. didn't last too long. Uh, a number Napa of years. Valley, not making cab. Look at you. Yeah. You know, and you know, <laughs> you do that for your clients. I do right. that for my clients. Uh, that's right. what I do. And it's a, as you know, um, when you make something that's popular like that, you think, okay, good. I want to be in this groove, but there's a lot of competition in that groove Yeah. Um, for grapes, uh, for sales. It's brutal. It's, it's a tough one. And you know that better than anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially you kind of have to be in a luxury category, you know, and it's a whole different ball of wax in the in the luxury category. It's not something not something I've been with Celine. Mm-hmm. So it it just uh, and the vineyard I, the vineyards I've worked with too uh, over time just didn't didn't really work out. I, it, it was great to do it. I was really happy to do it, and it was profitable. But you see the writing on the wall as the prices keep going up yeah. and uh, wholesale kind of shuts down a little bit more and more. Um, and then Cabernet Franc too. And then the Franc is really fun because we put a slightly different label on the bottle. <laughs> it's actually a picture of my mother. 
water was, skiing uh, in the in the forties. I was going to ask you about that. It's yeah. a great label. Yeah, it's and really the, awesome. The name label. is Chesler. That's Chesler. Her maiden Ch- name, right? That was her maiden name, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So well, I was going to comment earlier. You know, the way you've talked about your mom, you guys had a, had a pretty special special thing. We did. We had a good uh, a good relationship, and yeah, yeah. There's just uh, you know, because it wasn't just a generation. It was like. <laughs> three generations between yeah. between us age wise. So uh it was it's actually easier, I think, to uh get along that Neat. way. But Well that, that comes through. Yeah. It comes through. It's yeah. special. And um total production is what? Not not monstrous. Not monstrous at all. Yeah, we're we're about fifteen hundred cases now. So we've been yeah. up, up around four thousand. Uh but you know, back in the early nineties, times were different. Sales could take a different route. Um you remember Mary Danilac uh, mm-hmm. down at Oakville, Oakville Grocery, Grocery. Back, back in the day. I mean, distributors used to come from all over the country and ask her, hey, what's what's, what's hot? What's going on? Yeah, what's hot out here? Yeah. Uh, that's long gone. I know. That's long gone. Very different. Um, and uh, so it, it makes it uh, more challenging to move move bigger. And you're dependent. You don't have any of your own grapes. You're dependent on growers. Exactly. And uh, I think there's one grower who's pretty special. His name's Larry Hyde. Oh, Larry is the best, <laughs> man. Larry <laughs> is absolutely the best. So you buy and sell me a block from him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's just the best. He's the best guy uh, ever, and the biggest character. Yeah, one of the bigger characters in the valley in a I, in a very good way. He's the best. This guy, I've got to have him on because I think yeah. I think this guy is as responsible for some of the great steps in quality of wine in this valley in the late 80s, early 90s. Because I was buying grapes from him, and we'd be out looking at vineyards, and he's talking about you and Tony. He's talking about Dave Ramey. He's talking about Paul Hobbs. He sells all these people. And I'd be like, like one time I was getting ready to pick. I think I'll pick on Thursday. It was a Tuesday. He goes, really? I said, yeah, I think it's ready to go. He goes, hmm. Not sure. I go. What do you mean you're not sure? I'm the wine. I'm the winemaker, man. He goes. He goes. Well, you know, and he's a gentleman. Mm-hmm. He said, Doug. I, you know, because he he cares about his fruit. He cares about where his fruit goes and what people do with it. Nobody's like that. Yeah. No growers like that. No. They're like, gosh, pick it, pick it as soon as you can, yeah, so I please. get it in before the rain. Right. He goes. You know, I don't know if you should do that. I go. Well, he goes. You know. You know. Paul Hobbs is picking the block right next to you. You know, he's he's waiting for another week or 10 days. I said, really? He says, yeah, because he's, you know, whatever, the tannin, the acid, whatever it was. And I, I, I figured out I should listen to this guy. And I became a better winemaker from, and he'd share everything. And he wasn't telling you secrets. Hey, you know, Ramey's doing this. He's leafing on this side. He's doing this. We're going to prune like this for him. It was wonderful. And yeah. I, you know, that's when I loved his fruit so much. We bought the Red Shoulder Ranch right. a mile away and started growing Chardonnay down there. So I stopped buying grapes from him. But I, I almost feel like I should go back and yeah. buy 10 tons every year just to have that, you know, interaction. Yeah, you. I mean, you go you go to the vineyard just to take a look and, and see what's going on. And if you run into Larry, um, it's over because uh, <laughs> it's, you're not just going to go see your block. You're going to get in the side-by-side, and he's going to go through – my guess is more than 60% of the blocks that he has yeah. talk about what's going on, talk about what this wine, where the fruit's going, what the winemaker, you know, is doing and, and all, I mean, and it's just, it's very interesting. You, you can't, you can't say no, but you know, you, you have to put it on your schedule. Okay. You're gonna spend, you're it's gonna not spend just going to be though. a half hour stop at, at Hyde. It's going to be an hour and a half to two hours. Right. Period. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. So Mia, I got to ask you because I get emails and, you know, from people about the taste and, and I'm, lately I've been getting a lot of them. They say, hey, we're curious, you know, what do, what do your guests drink at home? You know, they they drinking, is Mia drinking her Sauvignon Blanc and her, her, Merlot, her Merlot and her Cab Franc or what's she drinking at home? You know, I sure, I do drink, uh, I do drink some of my own wines. I, uh, you know, one of the reasons I make Merlot is I like it. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Cabernet Franc. So, but when I'm, uh, you know, going off the off the farm, uh, <laughs> off the farm, yeah, I it's like going to be most likely a Nebbiolo or mm. a Cabernet Franc from somewhere, you know, um, you know, definitely Barolo, Barbaresco, but Longe. There's there's uh, some very interesting uh, Nebbiolos out there, and um, you know, Franc from all over the Loire. Right. Uh, just it's it's really fun to taste those wines from. 
from different areas because they make quite different wines. Uh, yeah. That's what, and, that, and I like doing that, just drinking things from different parts of the world. It's yeah. just fun. Yeah. Even if it's, I pop the cork, it's like, well, I really don't like this that much, but then I'm kind of like curious about it. It's like, why don't I like and what's going on? That's That keeps the... Yeah, and where does this fit in? Going. It fits in for somebody. Right. You know, somebody yeah. somebody likes this. Is it the place that it's from and the food that it goes with? Is it, yeah. Right. Yeah. To quote one of my coworkers here, he has a famous quote. If we sometimes will taste a wine that's not everyone's favorite, he'll say... Well, everyone needs a friend. There you so go. There you go. Oh, and <laughs> champagne also. Got, ah. Oh man, I love champagne. There you go. Yeah, I love <laughs> champagne. So, and the market is has been so good lately. You can find stuff in that thirty-five to sixty-five dollar range that is just beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, it's really good. So that's and champagne is is that way because I I know how it's made, but I've never made it. You know, ah, you know what I mean? There you go. We'll do yeah. a thing sometimes at winemaker dinners, you know, guess the grapes that Mia hasn't worked with, you know, and you get free whatever. <laughs> it takes people a long time to come along. up, but champagne is something Champagne's I one. have not done. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Celine wines, I love them. Sometimes it's hard for me to find them, even though, you know, I got your phone number. So if people out there are curious, what, how can they find your wines? Where, where, where would they go? You know, the best place is to go to selenewines.com okay. and uh, order off the website. A lot of the local restaurants will carry one or two of the wines if it's, you know, the Merlot or the Sauvignon mm-hmm. Blanc. Uh, right. A lot of times you'll, you'll find them around uh, Napa and Sonoma Napa. area. Okay. Yeah, San Francisco as well. But yeah, the, the website's the best place. So selenewines.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm going to spell it's it. It's S-E-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-E-S.com. Perfect. Right. All right. Well, listen, my friend, um, it's so good to see you. Thank you. As, you know, I learned so much about you that I didn't know, and I knew that was going to happen, and uh, it's great having you. Oh, it's been fun, Doug. Thank you. um, Stay in touch. Don't be a stranger. All right. Keep making good wine. You bet. All right. We'll see you. Okay. I got to say, I think Mia Klein is a true shining light in the industry. She's always on top of her game. Always great to spend time with and always quick to credit people who helped her along the way. The one thing she didn't talk about are all the people she has helped, all the people who she has mentored and been a friend to. It was great to have her here and learn more about her story. If you like the taste, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes as that helps other people find the podcast. Thanks very much for listening and for all the emails you've sent with feedback and ideas for future episodes. Anytime you want to reach us, just send an email to podcast at schafervineyards.com. I read them all and really appreciate the support. We'll see you next time.